Hi, I'm Lone Candle. The issue of guns in America is heated and multifaceted. Today, I won't come to a final conclusion on guns, good or bad, or an exact policy prescription, but we'll dive into one important component of the cost-benefit analysis we should do when deciding on the extent that we allow guns in our societies. Do more guns mean more deaths? Does having more guns in a society lead to more deaths? Does having easy access to a gun make it more likely that you and others will die? Even if the answer to this question is yes, that doesn't mean we should ban all guns. There are other factors to consider. Guns may be worth it for other reasons. If you're pro-gun, you should be honest about this piece of the issue and deal with it realistically. Being intellectually dishonest about such an important cost will destroy one's credibility on the issue, among all except those who already desire your ultimate conclusion to be correct. I'm going to walk us through the logic of more guns, more deaths, look at some big statistics, compare the U.S. to other countries, and even dig into the complicated and muddy research. Although the research needs work, overall, the logic and evidence point towards a conclusion. More guns in a society means more deaths in that society. One cost of living in a gun society is more innocent people dying. This shouldn't be surprising. A firearm is designed to kill living beings and is quite good at it. It is an efficient killing tool. As a general rule, the more easily accessible, efficiently killing tools there are in a society, the more people will die. I'm talking at a society-wide level. In every society, kids will jack around with the objects available, even ones they were specifically told not to jack around with. In every society, people get into fights. All countries have some level of crime, and gangs are not a unique problem to America. Every society has spouses who act out in violence against their partners, and persons who aren't always careful enough with potentially dangerous objects, especially while drinking. Suicidal impulses happen around the globe, and everywhere people sometimes go crazy or get seduced by some violent ideology and attempt to kill multitudes. We all hear bumps in the night and reach for objects to defend ourselves, or just decide for whatever reason that we want to murder someone. Every police force in the world has to deal with dangerous situations. With or without a gun, these situations present an opportunity for death. We are talking at a society-wide level, so it's a numbers game dealing with probabilities. If an efficiently deadly killing weapon is put into the mix, the chances of death go up. In some cases, someone would die anyways. A man may beat his wife to death. A depressed woman may hang herself. Damn kids may drown, jacking around in a pool. Gang members may use machetes or bats to murder each other. But all of these and similar situations happen hundreds of thousands of times in a society every year. And when a society is inundated with guns, more of these will result in death because other means aren't as instant, lethal, easy, and even as alluring as killing with a gun. I know alluring was a weird word to use. I'm referring partially to psychological scripts. Our ideas and impulses don't merely come from our brains. They come from our brains interacting with the outside world. 
We all know that guns are for killing or wounding living beings. The very thought of a gun usually brings the thought of shooting a living thing. By having guns around, the script of killing is more upfront in our minds, so guns may make us more prone to attempt killing. Also, guns are alluring in that they are cool! Most of us know that guns being cool doesn't mean we should use them to kill people, even people we don't like. But when individuals are having issues with anger, ideology, or some other psychological problem, having the idea that guns are cool planted in their minds may make them more likely to decide to use one in unethical ways. Finally, guns are alluring in a way that isn't so alluring. If someone is practiced with guns, the idea or impulse of killing is more likely than if one had a hobby that didn't make them better at killing people. Imagine two people, one that plays video games or races cars for a hobby, and another that target shoots. When this person is angry at another, or scared or suicidal, they're confident that they can fulfill that impulse with a gun because they're well practiced with it, and they think of doing so because shooting is something they've done many times before. You could bludgeon someone to death with a video game controller or run over someone in your car, but those activities just aren't as directed at easily killing as sending a bullet designed to kill living beings through a target. One only needs to replace a paper target with a live one. So, we have two major mechanisms. Guns are efficiently deadly, and they can facilitate the idea or impulse to kill. On a society-wide level, this leads to situations that without guns would produce one number of deaths, and with guns produces a higher level of deaths. A key case is the United States. In many ways, it isn't so different than other developed countries, but it does have far more homicides. In 2012, according to data from Jeffrey Swanson and the OECD, the United States had 5.1 homicides per 100,000 people. Among other advanced countries, this ranged from 0.8 to less than 2. We easily more than doubled our closest competitor. According to World Bank Development Indicators from 2012, to 2014, the U.S. had almost four intentional homicides per 100,000 people. Other countries ranged from 0.6 to less than 2. We again doubled the next closest affluent OECD country. According to 2014 WHO data, the U.S. non-firearm homicide rate was almost 1.5. This was higher than other countries, but not by a massive amount. When you add in firearm deaths, we blow other developed countries out of the water, indicating that firearms are the source of our greater homicide rates. Why am I focusing on comparing the U.S. to advanced or developed or affluent countries? Because it only makes sense to compare the U.S. to similar countries. Non-developed countries have more poverty, less opportunity for their people, and weaker rule of law. Of course, countries who don't even control their own territory have more homicides. Mexico, for example, doesn't even have full control over the country, and the power of the gangs is beyond the capability of even their federal government to control. The U.S. has a well-established rule of law and powerful police forces. It doesn't make sense to compare our deaths to countries with corrupt police, rampant crime, and high poverty. When we look at all countries, U.S. homicide rates are around the middle and way lower than the worst countries. But the U.S. doing better than countries that are still developing just doesn't tell us much, and it leaves unexplained why the U.S. has such a higher homicide rate than other developed countries.
That's a real travesty, and we shouldn't let developing countries draw our attention from that. Homicides are a particular problem in the African-American community. The black homicide rate is 19.4. It's 5.3 for Hispanics and 2.5 for whites. But even this 2.5 for whites is still higher than other developed countries. Why the hell are even whites killing each other more than other advanced countries? If you look at a heat map of the globe where red is a high homicide rate and white is a low one, Canada, Western Europe, South Korea, and Japan are a kind of vanilla construction paper color, while the U.S. is orange. We stand out. We have a strong and free capitalist economy like these other countries. We shouldn't be killing each other at a higher rate. In 2008, according to the UN Office on Drugs and Crime, the U.S. had almost 5.5 homicides per 100,000 people, more than double other advanced countries. But if you look at the same data for homicides by methods other than firearms, the U.S. leads, but not by a huge amount. Then look at firearms, and our rate towers above other developed countries, being five times or larger than many other nations. Our high homicide rates are driven by firearm deaths. How could this be? If the logical argument mentioned earlier is correct, then the fact that the U.S. has far more civilian guns than these other countries is likely a cause. The U.S. has 120.5 guns per person. This triples, quadruples, and more that of other developed countries. For Canada, the number is 34.7, Norway, 28.8, New Zealand, 23.8, and Germany, 19.6. In these other countries, when strangers get into a fight, when families enter heated arguments, and when gangs battle it out, some people die. But chances are these people don't have a gun to reach for. So far more often, no deaths result. In the U.S., a gun is more frequently grabbed, and this produces more homicides at a countrywide level. If you look at a heat map for guns per 100 people, where dark blue is more guns and lighter colors are less guns, the rest of the world is shades of blue and green, and the U.S. almost looks black. It's really a dark blue, but it's staggering how much of a gun society we are. Could it be that the United States is just a more violent country? Well, we don't have more crime than our peers. If you look at both nonviolent crime and violent crime compared to industrialized countries, the U.S. is just in the middle of the pack. If we look at a 2002 ranking of countries by total crimes per 1,000 people, the U.S. ranks 22nd, behind countries like Sweden, the United Kingdom, New Zealand, Belgium, Denmark, Netherlands, Canada, Germany, and France. Yet, we have far more homicides than these countries. Looking at a crime heat map where darker green means more crimes, unlike with homicides, the U.S. does not stand out from our peers. We look a similar shade of green as other countries. If we look at the chance of someone being a victim of any crime, the U.S. is not an outlier. Our chance is less than 18, Japan has less than 10, while the United Kingdom has over 20. If we instead look at the homicide rate, boom, we tower over these countries. Even looking at assault or severe threats, the U.S. is not an outlier and has less than the U.K. Compare that again to homicide and we clearly have a freaking problem with killing each other. I'm choosing years based on graphs that are pre-made so I don't have to make them myself. 
But looking at the data, these aren't cherry-picked years. The U.S. generally demolishes other countries and having a high homicide rate, but doesn't have more crime. Let's think about U.S. crime rates compared to the European Union. Such charts can be confusing because the EU has added countries over the years, and these tend to be countries with more crime, so that is why their numbers suddenly grow at times. Despite this, from 1970 to 2010, the U.S. had more total crime early on, but then had less starting in the late 80s. In violent crime, there is a similar pattern. In robberies, we've had about the same as the EU since around year 2000. Our burglary rate is higher than the EU's. Both of our car theft rates have decreased in the last few decades and have been pretty close to each other. But then if we look at homicide, the U.S. has massively more and always has. The study that produced these graphs did some explorative regression analysis and found that the differences between the U.S. and EU when it comes to crime and homicides can be explained by guns. Thus, their results supports the idea that guns explain why the U.S. doesn't have more crime, but does have way more homicides. Just looking at some of the other Anglo countries that are most like us culturally, a vast majority of all our homicides are by gun. It is less than a majority for these other countries, indicating that our overall homicide rate is driven by people killing each other with guns. The United States has over 30,000 gun deaths a year. As said, some of these would have died without guns, but many would not have. Each of these is a precious human whose life was ended and whose family and friends must go on without their loved one. 538 had a great visualization of U.S. gun deaths. They visualize each gun death as a dot and then fill the screen with 33,000 dots, each representing a U.S. gun death. They then highlight the dots that represent deaths from terrorism and mass shootings. This is only a single vertical line that doesn't even go halfway from the top to bottom of the screen. They then add police officers killed in police shootings, which is still a small minority of deaths. Then they highlight almost two-thirds of the dots, showing that all these gun deaths are from suicides. Do not fear, I will talk about suicide soon. Then they highlight the 12,000 homicides. A lot of people like to poo-poo our horrible gun death numbers because so many of them are from suicides, but 12,000 is a lot of dead people. And as shown earlier, our homicide rate is far worse than other developed countries. They finally highlight accidents, which seems small in comparison to homicides and suicide, but that's still a significant amount of untimely death, many of whom wouldn't be dead if they didn't have easy access to such a lethal tool. Some additional tidbits. On a yearly basis, 600 American women are shot and killed by intimate partners. Of all women gun murders, half are by their intimate partners. Almost a million living women claim they were shot or shot at by their intimate partner. And 4.5 million say an intimate partner threatened them with a gun. Guns are used in more than 70% of all homicides. Guns are used in 4% of crimes and only 20% of violent crimes, but result in 70% of killings. That's because guns make situations more deadly. Over 3,000 children and teens die by gunshot each year. There are 430 unintentional firearm deaths a year in the U.S. 75% of first and second graders know where their parents' firearms are, 
and 36% admitted to handling the guns. This contradicted what their parents said. Generally, over 70,000 Americans are non-fatally wounded every year by guns. Mass shootings are horrific, but they only make up less than 1% of all gun deaths. It's a various issue. Young child gun deaths are most likely unintentional. Urban youth gun deaths are likely from homicide. The gun deaths of women are often from their intimate partner. Suicides result from mental issues. What's common among these different groups of people is access to an efficient killing tool. And this produces more deaths than if these people lived in a society without such easy gun access. That a majority of gun deaths are suicides doesn't reduce the tragedy. Outside of specific situations, like being in great and permanent pain, or being tortured to divulge national secrets, no one in the right mind kills themselves. It is an inherent part of being a living organism to want to live. When people commit suicide, they are sick. Those are deaths that result from a psychological disease. It is more like dying from cancer than dying from the acts of a human. We should have great sympathy for suicide deaths and want to prevent them when possible. Suicide is made a lot easier when all someone has to do is pull a trigger. Most people are not permanently suicidal, and if we can get them to avoid killing themselves when they have the impulse, we can save their lives. These people can go on to live the rest of their days. More than 90% of people who attempt suicide and survive don't end up dying from suicide. 90% of suicide survivors do not attempt it again, so we certainly don't want to make it easier for their attempts to succeed. 82 to 95% of suicide attempts with a gun are fatal, so access to guns makes it more likely a suicidal person will succeed in killing themselves. Like with other issues, some people will die with or without guns, but others will have second thoughts as they start stabbing themselves or start putting the pills in their mouths, or they will go through the suicide but just fail because other methods aren't as efficiently deadly. With a gun, Almost all who try to kill themselves succeed. Suicide attempts by jumping are fatal 34% of the time. Drug poisoning, 2 to 14%. By drowning, it's 56 to 66%. Suffocation or hanging is 53 to 70%. Gas poison is 31 to 42%. Cutting or piercing is only 1 to 2%. Overall, about 5% of non-firearm suicide attempts are fatal. Even if the 5% non-firearm suicide number is too low due to cutting attempts that weren't really meant to be fatal, guns are clearly the deadliest way to kill oneself. More than 80% of guns used in youth suicide attempts were from the youth's home or the home of a relative or friend, so adults having guns makes it easier for children to kill themselves. Only 5% of suicide attempts are with a gun, but it's so deadly that guns are used in 51% of suicide deaths in the U.S. Let's look at the U.S. suicide rate compared to other countries. Well, shit. We tend to be in the middle. This differs greatly compared to homicides. Even if we go back to 1950, the U.S. suicide rate gets lost in the middle compared to other advanced countries. Can I really believe that guns make suicide more likely when the U.S. has way more gun deaths than these other countries, but not more suicides? The U.S. comparison seems so powerful for homicide, 
Does this mean guns cause more homicides compared to suicides? No. And in truth, I believe guns are a greater risk factor for suicide than homicide. How can I think that? Unfortunately, for this analysis, things are more complicated than comparing the United States to other countries. There are many factors that affect both the number of guns in a country and the number of suicides and homicides. Many variables affect whether an individual will own a gun and whether he or she dies violently. So we can't conclude anything from the simple comparison I've done thus far. We've got to look at the research that not only thinks through the logic with deductive theories, but systematically tests hypotheses from these theories and looks at the data from as many useful angles as possible while controlling for confounding variables. One reason I decided to do this piece is because so many media stories focus on guns and gun deaths, but gun deaths don't matter. What matters is deaths. If people without guns are just killing by other means, then either way we have a dead human. My argument here is that guns cause more deaths, and I only talk about gun deaths in the proper context. So I looked into the research on guns and deaths. The research still needs work, but I believe it points in the direction of more guns means more deaths, both homicides and suicides, and that the evidence for a gun-suicide link is stronger than the evidence for a gun-homicide link. The relationship between homicide and gun availability, gun prevalence, and gun ownership has been studied for decades. Unfortunately, it's difficult to study because we don't have great measures of gun prevalence, it's hard to control for confounding factors, being in a situation where homicide is more likely could lead someone to get a gun, so it's hard to tell what is causing what, and defensive displays of guns could save some lives by preventing violence. Nevertheless, the studies point in the direction of more guns, more homicide. But the research isn't overwhelming. I think the direction of the scientific literature combined with the logic of having more efficiently, deadly, and cool weapons in a society leading to more homicides is enough to conclude that more guns leads to more homicides. But another decade or so of better research will hopefully make this more clear. The science can be split into five types of studies, and some of these are overlapping. Case control studies, individual studies that are not case controlled, ecological studies that group data at a geographic level, natural experiments, and reviews of the literature slash meta-studies. Most reviews by scientists in the field conclude that guns are a risk factor for homicide. Some say the evidence is strong, some say it is merely a little suggestive, and a few say the evidence doesn't support such a relationship. Studies suggest a real problem is people killing others they live with or know. When homicides are split between stranger and non-stranger, or inside the home and outside the home, the relationship is much stronger and consistent with non-stranger and inside-the-home homicides. This implies that having a gun in the home increases the chance of people in that home dying of homicide which makes sense. Every family or group of roommates gets into arguments or fights, and the chances of those resulting in a death are much greater when all that's needed is a pull of the trigger. That many homicides occur during family arguments imply that a household gun was used. Some studies attempt to control for reverse causality, the idea that more homicides cause people to get guns. 
A key way of doing this is looking at changes over time. There are two findings that also lead researchers to believe guns cause more homicides, and it isn't just a result of reverse causality. One is that the gun homicide connection is found for gun-related homicides, but not homicides with non-guns. If the relationships scientists see are simply areas with homicides causing people to buy guns, then all types of homicides should lead people to fear for their lives and to buy guns to protect themselves. That the relationship exists with gun homicides but not non-gun homicides implies that the reason for the relationship is that guns are the cause of homicides, not just the other way around. Similarly, the relationship between guns and homicide is much stronger with non-stranger homicide. If living in a scary neighborhood caused people to buy guns, and that is explaining all of this relationship, then we should see the gun-homicide relationship for both stranger and non-stranger homicide. That it is mostly there for non-stranger suggests guns are causing deaths by personal relationships becoming deadly due to having easy access to an efficient killing tool as well as the violent scripts this tool makes more prominent in people's minds. Looking into defensive uses of guns can give us an idea of lives saved by the weapons. One survey by Kleck and Gertz estimated 2.5 million defensive gun uses a year. Most of these would have been gun displays. That's a massive number. Twice the estimated number of total crimes according to the Department of Justice. It's also probably way higher than reality. Such surveys have to multiply the reported number of defensive gun uses to reach the level of uses at a country level. And in the surveys, there are a small number of actual defensive gun uses, so small that a few more or less in either direction could make the total picture look considerably different. And unfortunately, at least a few of the claims are likely false, or at least not what we would consider a real defensive use of a gun. Remember, these are people self-reporting, so they want to see themselves in a good light. Of course, they see the time they pulled out their gun as a valid defense use. But we know that people sometimes pull guns when it's completely unnecessary. And even a few of these events will blow up the numbers based on this methodology. In my limited experience, I've only seen three people display a gun in an attempt to act defensively. In all three actions, none of them were truly defensive but an aggressive display when no one was under threat until that display happened. At least some of the people reporting defensive gun use on these surveys are fooling themselves and thinking they were actually in an appropriate defensive manner. Other surveys that try to get a count of defensive gun use come to a much smaller number. Furthermore, if defensive gun use was so important, then we should consistently find negative associations between crime and guns and between homicides and guns because guns are so often protective. We don't. So defensive gun use, while a real thing and a factor to consider overall, isn't saving more lives than the people killed by guns. Also, studies that compare gun owners to non-gun owners while controlling for other variables find that gun owners are more likely to die of homicide. So the evidence here doesn't support the protective value of a gun, although as mentioned, controlling for reverse causality is tough. And just so we're clear, very few of the 10,000-plus gun homicides that are racked up every year in the United States are due to legitimate citizen defense with a firearm. We're talking in the range of two to 300 a year. That's less than 3% of gun homicides and less than 1% of all gun deaths. 
If you include justifiable police gun homicides, those percentages are about 5 and 1.5%. Studying guns and homicides, researchers have even done some traditional experiments. These support the idea that simply having a gun in the room acts as a cue that leads to people acting more aggressively. It supports the psychological scripts idea I mentioned earlier. These studies place some individuals in a room with something like a visible tennis racket and others in a room with a visible gun. Those in the room with a gun, on average, act more aggressively when angered by another participant. So just the ideas and associations to violence that a gun makes more prominent in people's minds makes them more aggressive toward others. Studies on suicide have to wrangle with many of the same problems as studies on homicides. Based on my review of the literature and concurring with several professional summaries on it, the evidence for more guns leading to more suicides is stronger than the evidence between guns and homicides. While it's possible that some uncontrolled for variable makes people more likely to own a gun and more likely to commit suicide, many studies control for several variables, including major depression, other mental illness, suicidal thoughts, suicidal ideation and planning, alcohol misuse, drug use, demographic characteristics, family constellation, poverty, urbanization, unemployment, divorce, non-lethal violent crime, and past suicide attempts. Based on a bias analysis, for there to still be an important missing variable, it'd have to be as powerful as the known strongest predictors of suicide and spread in a more imbalanced manner across households with firearms compared to those without firearms. And this seems unlikely. Overall, the suicide research estimates that having access to a gun triples the risk of death by suicide. Research finds that the impulse to kill oneself is short-lived, and whether or not someone has access to an efficiently deadly tool like a gun makes a big difference. In both the case of homicides and suicides, but especially suicides, in the research I can clearly see an increase in sophistication in different angles to attack the problem, as well as an expanding list of controls, showing that the studies have improved over the years. Gary Kleck wrote a hard-hitting piece criticizing ecological studies linking gun prevalence to suicide. Most of his critiques are correct, however, he's only focusing on the ecological studies and they are not alone in their evidence for the gun prevalence to suicide link. Individual surveys and case control studies, as well as natural experiments, also support that guns are a risk factor for suicide. So his critique shouldn't change our minds about this danger of guns. Also, his review doesn't seem to comprehensively review the ecological studies, leaving out some of the better ones. Case-controlled studies can better control for confounding factors than ecological studies, and look directly at individuals, rather than assuming that what is happening at a group level is the same as what is happening at an individual level. They take a person who has killed himself and compare him to someone who hasn't that otherwise matches the other person's characteristics. For example, a 20 to 25 year old male with low income from a certain neighborhood will be matched to a 25 year old male with low income from that same neighborhood. Other confounding factors are controlled for statistically. Some of the strongest critiques of the more guns, more suicides literature focus on ecological studies while having much less to say about case-controlled studies. Also, in a case-controlled study, we can know whether or not each individual had a gun, while on an ecological level, we struggle with general measures of gun prevalence and availability. 
the evidence of a gun suicide connection is strongest for youths. Some case control studies involve taking people who have successfully committed suicide and pairing them with those who have attempted suicide. This is a great comparison because it controls for all the variables that may affect someone's decision to commit suicide because both individuals have attempted the act. And as you'd expect, those with access to guns were more likely to die from attempted suicide. The most likely reason is because guns are a more efficient killing method than most alternatives that others try. That said, nothing is perfect because factors that affect one's determination to successfully commit suicide could also influence whether one has access to a gun. Other studies find evidence that those with access to guns are not more suicidal. They just die more from suicide. Even ecological studies can control for what makes one suicidal in the first place by controlling for things like depression, suicidal thoughts, and psychiatric illness. These make unnecessary controls for other confounding factors in the cases where these factors produce depression and suicidal thoughts along with actual suicide. Likewise, controlling for attempted suicides may capture the bias that a variety of missing controls could create. Individual studies that get information from people or households, either from surveys or government data, find that those with guns or who have recently purchased a gun are more likely to die of suicide. Natural experiments in suicide include Israel, Switzerland, Canada, and Australia. In Switzerland, firearm ownership was reduced due to a 2003 law that cut the size of the citizen army in half, reducing the number of service weapons. Following this, there was a decrease in suicides among those of service age and gender, but not among those males too old for service and among women of service age. This is a strong natural experiment providing evidence for the power of guns in producing suicides and in removing guns, reducing suicide. Israel and Canada had similar results, while the effect of the Australia ban has raged in the scientific literature to this day. On both homicides and suicides, it's not clear that Australia's gun ban reduced either. There is some evidence it has, but the evidence is weak. Homicides and suicides went down after the ban, but this reduction could be due to other reasons. It could be that gun deaths were too rare in the first place in Australia to find strong evidence, or it could be that the Australian ban didn't reduce homicides or suicides. If it could be proven that the Australian gun ban did not reduce deaths, that would not negate the overall connection between guns and increased deaths. The relationship is of course complicated, and it's very well possible that one location has characteristics that weaken this general relationship, even if in most places the relationship holds. Such a finding would not negate the other logic and evidence, and clearly wouldn't apply to the United States, which has a massive gun death problem, the likes of which Australia never had. If more guns do produce more homicides and suicides, then we should expect that effective gun regulation decreases these deaths. Most gun regulations don't consistently find evidence of reduced deaths, but they generally don't show evidence of reducing gun prevalence either. Obviously, the gun law has to be effective at reducing guns in the first place to limit gun deaths, and many such laws are quite weak. That said, some evidence is found with certain laws. Child access prevention laws help prevent unintentional injuries and suicides, and stand-your-ground laws produce more homicides. I won't talk much about guns and accidents. 
It wasn't the focus of my research. What I have run across shows that where there are more guns, there are more gun accidents, which is an obvious conclusion. In 2010 and 2011, there were 606 and 851 unintentional firearm deaths. But for those years, there were over 73,000 non-fatal firearm injuries each year. As shouldn't surprise anyone, gun availability associates with more unintentional firearm deaths. Gun accidents are most likely to occur in a home with a gun. The research finds evidence that the more guns, the more unintentional firearm deaths. People that die from accidental shooting are three times more likely to have had a gun in the home. 89% of unintentional child shooting deaths happen in the home, and most of these occur while children are playing with a gun without a parent. The degree to which guns cause more deaths is an extremely important component to thinking about to what extent do we allow guns in our societies. It shouldn't be ignored or poo-pooed away with bad arguments. The evidence and logic point toward more guns, more deaths. And this means in the bigger conversation, one has to argue why the benefits of guns outweigh this heavy cost. However, the evidence is not overwhelming. The empirics, and especially the logic, point to more guns, more deaths, but I can't pretend that the evidence closes the book on the discussion. Maybe another decade of research or so will. But one reason it doesn't is because many factors affect why people kill each other and themselves. Guns are only one. A pro-gun argument could be, maybe if we greatly minimize the other factors, then the cost of guns will be small enough to not weigh too heavily in our cost-benefit analysis. Just fix the other problems in society, and we can keep our guns with less harms. The problem is, significantly reducing other factors that cause people to kill is really hard. When these factors are reduced, it's usually because of general growth in society rather than the strong will and determination of the people. Guns, on the other hand, are easy. If the people agree to it, it isn't hard to get rid of all guns, even from criminals who will find it much harder to get guns when the society isn't full of them and when police forces have the mandate of the people to track the weapons down and remove them. Gun prevalence is something we could do something about, so it's a much more realistic and straightforward way to reduce killing. Its difficulty is a political one. We, of course, should focus on other areas of improvement as well, but likely those efforts will have little to no effect, especially in the short run. So the cost of guns is with us, whether we like it or not. And in the United States, that cost is almost 40,000 people a year. Some of those would have died anyways, but many would not. And if you want to argue we should continue to be awash in guns, any honest argument has to recognize this huge cost, realize it likely won't be significantly mitigated by other means, and argue that the benefits of guns outweigh the deadly downsides. I may do this total cost-benefit analysis in another piece, but for now, I'm Lone Candle. Like me, comment me, love me, and love does mean subscribe.